Hello and welcome to Season 5 of the Big Boss Book Club. Before we jump in, uh, please go give Big Boss Book Club a follow on Instagram and Facebook. You can also get us on Twitter at BigBoss010. This podcast is available on pretty much any podcast platform. Please go give it a follow, a like a review, subscribe, whatever you need to do. Any and all support is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome to Season 5 of the Big Boss Book Club again. Thank you so much for joining me for the fifth season of the show. Um, So what can you expect from Season 5? As usual... A little bit more of what you had from seasons one through four. Um, I'll be getting some guests on to chat wrestling, games, movies, doing solo episodes, probably chatting about the same things. Um, I've got my solo campaign lined up for the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, where I'll be playing through the Fellowship of the Rings campaign. So I'll be doing that over the course of uh, this series. Also, got another mini series planned up as well the proverbial series within a series, where I'm going to be looking at competitive and casual gaming environments, sort of a a versus, so to speak. As I said, I'm going to be looking at reviewing a couple of wrestling shows as well, getting my panels on. We've got SummerSlam fast, fastly approaching, quickly approaching, approaching with haste, and then we'll have Survivor Series towards the end of the year, uh, getting my panel on to do some predictions, the usual guys, Martin, Luke and Jim, will be uh, about. I'm hopefully going to try and get a, a little sprinkle of a few different guests as well this season. Uh, Jim has kindly offered to uh, help out again with editing and uh, production on the uh, some of the episodes we'll be doing this season. Um, really wanting to focus on improving the actual sound quality of the, uh, the show in a big way by the end of the series. Um, maybe even pushing the boat out to get a proper microphone rather than just using my uh, the speaker on my phone or my um, works headset, <laughs> uh, which isn't always ideal. Um, I'm looking to try and get a bit more in terms of board gaming in. Finally get some episodes out that I really wanted to get out for, for a couple of seasons. Hoping to have a couple of nice announcements as well by the end of the series as well. Again, you can support the show, Big Boss Book Club. Like, subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're currently choosing to listen to it on. And if you do wish to contribute directly, you can follow the link tree in my Instagram profile to get to my Kofi page. Uh, Again, thank you for listening to the Big Boss Book Club. Enjoy Season 5, and I will catch you on the other side. Hello, welcome to this week's show. Um, I wanted to open up with uh, a bit of a more casual uh, episode. So this week I'm going to be looking at WWE Judgment Day from 2004. You're probably wondering why this um, seemingly random pay-per-view. Uh, myself and Martin covered Judgment Day 2002, last series. Um, but hear me out. Uh, this pay-per-view was one of the was probably one of the bloodiest main events, I think, in... Um, Probably in WWE history. Um, and I don't think it maybe gets enough attention. Because um, I think it's probably a prime example of what you'll never see in WWE again. 
So the main event essentially sees JBL taking on Eddie Guerrero for the WWE title. Um, JBL, at the time, pretty much fresh face heel. Obviously been around for a long time, but um, new character, new persona, new style. Singles guy pushed this. I mean, he'd not long done the turn to JBL. This was like his first pay-per-view. He was main event in it. And I don't think, unless you count Royal Rumble appearances, which we're not doing, this is the first time JBL's ever, or Bradshaw, had ever main evented a, a pay-per-view. Um, we've got Eddie Guerrero at the time, firing all cylinders as WWE champion as well. So I felt this was a nice episode to, to start the series. Um, the card itself... On paper, looks pretty good. Um, Mysterio RVD versus the Dudley Boys. Tori Wilson versus Dawn Marie. Mordecai, remember him? No, me neither. Uh, versus Scotty Too Hotty. Uh, Charlie Haas and Rico versus Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly for the tag team titles. We have uh, Chavo Guerrero with, uh, versus Jacqueline for the Cruiserweight title. John Cena versus Rene Dupree for the United States title. And Undertaker versus Booker T. And then, of course, headlined by JBL versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think this show's probably a little bit of a hidden gem. I, this was this was my logic anyway. So <laughs> this is my logic when I first thought I'll do it. Bit of a spur of the moment idea as well because I, I was just scrolling through. To put a bit of a backstory on it, I was just scrolling through the WWE Network, just looking for something to watch. And I thought, what, what year do I fancy watching? And I thought, ah, 2005, 2004? Opted to click on 2004. I was just scrolling through and I just thought, what happened at Judgment Day 2004? <laughs> so I clicked on it and I watched the show. So yeah, quite an interesting, uh, uh, just random thought. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to get it down because this is quite interesting. Um, so we'll go for a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the show. And uh, we'll go into all the, uh, the matches. Be right back. Welcome back. So, as you'll probably already guess, we've got a commentary team. It's Michael Cole and the Taz. Um, very surprisingly, we get a little uh, thingy to the Spanish announced team. I don't think they even do that anymore on paper. Oh, sorry, premium live events. Um, I actually even forgot for a minute that this was a SmackDown exclusive show. So back when they were really focusing on the, the solo brand shows. Um, yeah, this was a SmackDown exclusive. So pretty... And I don't think it's that long after the draft had taken place either. So pretty uh, pretty fresh in terms of the talent that's on SmackDown. Um, match one, we get Rey Mysterio and Rob Van Dam versus the Dudley Boys. Pretty interesting team up. I didn't really know what the thingy was here, what the connection was. Um, so I had a quick look into it. Turns out that when RVD got drafted to SmackDown... The Dudley boys had tried to get Rob Van Dam to team up with them and Paul Heyman. Rob Van Dam basically said no, so they'd started attacking him. And by the sounds of it, Rey Mysterio was the one who, who came to the save. So I don't think the Dudley boys are a long-term heel, if I'm honest. And I know Rob Van Dam had not long been drafted to SmackDown. Um... So yeah, so I mean, as you kind of expect for this match, it's a nice opener. Um, Heels started off uh, doing what they do, you know, cutting off Rob Van Dam, keeping him away from Mysterio. There are a few tags in and out, 
um, pretty much as you kind of expect, like a, t- a sort of tag team match in the opening segment to go. Van Damme and Mysterio pick up the win. Uh, Van Damme hits the five star frog splash on Devon Dudley. And again, pretty much as you'd expect, most of it was the bad guys beating up the good guys. The good guys make the big comeback and, and get the win. Kind of as you'd expect. I think the biggest thingy for me here is actually then what go happens after. So we cut to the backstage where we've got a very young looking Josh Matthews who's uh, interviewing the, the recently turned heel Booker T. Uh, Booker T, the, to set the setting, the room is like got loads of candles on the floor there's like glyphs everywhere it's it's this very voodoo um feeling room um booker t gives it the big talk i'm gonna beat the undertaker i'm bigger than everyone on smackdown yeah it was all a little um all a little weird (laughs) And I think, you know, God bless Booker T, because I think he was, he's very much like Kane, in the sense of he's very much like a, a yes guy. I think he basically, they come to him and say, hey, Booker, you're going to do this. And he's like, yeah, okay. Do you pay me for it? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so, you know, fair play to him. Um, we don't even get another match straight away. We have the, the general manager, Kurt Angle, coming out to make a speech. He has this weird-ass box that he kind of gets lifted out of, which was ridiculous. Um, this is when he's got the the cast on his legs, so he's feigning. We all know he's feigning, but we don't don't know no, but we know he's feigning. Um, an injury to his leg, which was caused by the Big Show, cuts this huge promo on LA. Typical heel stuff. Your sports team suck. That kind of deal. Uh, calls out Tori Wilson for some reason and says that she's responsible for him being in a wheelchair and and not having a career. So he adds the um, stipulation to her upcoming match with Dawn Marie that if Tori Wilson loses, then she's fired. Um, I, don't, I don't think that needed to be added. I don't think anybody cared enough <laughs> about the match to to care if that was added as a stipulation. Um, but match two, we do get uh, Tori Wilson versus um, Dawn Marie. Um, do you remember when these guys made out in a hotel room on SmackDown? I do. Um, don't really feel like there was any peril here, though. I, I didn't feel at any point during this very short match that that Tori Wilson was ever in a risk of losing her job. Um, also, I'd like to point out that that was in 2002 when they made out in the hotel room. I thought it was 2003, but I looked into it. It was 2002. 20 years ago. That is very scary. Um, <laughs> during the match, the only real thing of any any note was Tori Wilson rips off Dawn Marie's bottoms, revealing a bum. I mean, she's got a, like a G-string type thing on, but that that's literally the only thingy about this match, like even slightly interesting part. Dawn Marie hits an X-Factor, which is pretty cool. Doesn't get the win, um, but Tori does hit a backslide to get the one, two, three. I mean, I felt like I enjoyed it a little bit more than the opener, because, well, probably because of who was in the match, but I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, still didn't really enjoy it. Um, No real break, and we go straight into match three, which was unusual, because normally you would get, especially at the big pay-per-views, especially at that time, you got a lot of, generally a backstage segment between every match. 
Not this time. We go straight into Mordecai versus Scotty Too Hotty. Mordecai, I think, is a, was a, a bit of a wasted opportunity. I mean, I remember Mordecai being kind of touted as, as the light version of The Undertaker. Sort of, you know, instead of the, you know, the Hounds of Hell or whatever, he was coming in with the, the Angels of Heaven or whatever. You know, I kind of remember this being like a thing. I mean, this guy ended up becoming Kevin Thorne on ECW. I mean, teamed with Ariel as well. Um, remember remember Ariel from ECW? I do. Um, this match feels like a... a it felt like a SmackDown debut match. Like, it should have been on SmackDown, and then he should have faced somebody else at the pay-per-view. Like, he should have maybe debuted a couple of weeks prior, had a couple of squash matches, and then had maybe a bit of a blow-off at the pay-per-view. Um, but this was his debut match, and I, I, I didn't feel... I, I get that it's Judgment Day, and the character style was, was supposed to be there. It just really wasn't. Um... He looked ridiculous, and I mean, he, Kevin Thorne looked weird enough, but but Mordecai just looked absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't know if they chose Scotty Too Hot either because of his size. I don't know off the top of my head how tall Scotty Too Hot is, but Mordecai looked really big in comparison to Scotty Too Hot. So I feel like that's maybe something to do with why that match happened. I just I just didn't see. I didn't really see a, 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 a point, if that makes sense. Um, Mordecai in the ring as well. Is, at this stage, I can't remember much about his career as Mordecai, but he they, it felt like they were trying to make him out to be like a very early Undertaker. He was very slow, occasionally kind of like lashing out, and then had the no-sell thing where you know he, he took the bulldog from Scotty Too Hotty and then kind of just rolled over. Um, very Undertaker, very early Undertaker. Hits the razor's edge. I don't even know if he changed the name of it. It was Crucifix Powerbomb. And I know he did it as um, Kevin Thorne as well. I don't know if he ever if he ever gave it a name, but it's basically the razor's edge. Um, and that gets him the pin. I think they maybe had visions of him going up against Undertaker at some point, but I don't recall that ever happening. Don't think he ever did. Um, but for the debut of a guy they clearly wanted to get over, this match felt completely irrelevant and completely wrong. <laughs> Scotty Too Hotty did not feel like the guy this this chap should have been taking on in his debut, and the debut definitely shouldn't have been on a pay-per-view. But, you know, Mordecai's not, Mordecai didn't last too much longer after that. Um, uh, backstage, again... I don't know why we needed to see Chavo Guerrero with his trousers around his ankles. Um, but by God, we seem to keep seeing that at this stage. Um, Jacqueline enters, gives Chavo a surprise gift, which turns out to be some weird-ass bra and thong set. Um, I didn't really find that funny. I guess it's just not my humour. Um, I did find it quite funny that Chavo Senior was in the back, like, proper, like, eyeing him up and, like... Making out like he was a proper pervert. Um, I did kind of find that funny. But I didn't really find the, the actual segment. I didn't really find it funny. Mm, bit weird. Um, that jumps into the next match. A little bit more interesting. Charlie Haas and Rico versus Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly for the tag team titles. Uh, Charlie Haas and Rico are your champs at this stage. Which I did kind of briefly remember. Because in my mind I thought it was Billy Gunn and Hardcore Holly. Um, but when Charlie Hassan Rico came out, I was like, 
Oh yeah, they were the champions for a while, weren't they? Um, I can't even remember what happened to them. I, I, I'm trying to decide whether or not it was Charlie Haas that turned on Rico or, or the other way around. Um, Miss Jackie, Jackie Gator comes out. Know what I mean? Um, this match was weird. It's very face-on-face. -face. I'm not really a big fan of face-on-face -face, uh, matches in general. But when you got... like Charlie Haas and Rico didn't seem... Like, just from kind of looking at the crowd shots as opposed to them, I didn't feel like anyone in this... I didn't feel like anyone in this match was overly over. Um, hmm. Rico was being very sort of, um, you know, flamboyant, let's say. He kind of made that work for him. I think I preferred him as a manager when he was managing, like, well, Billy and Chuck and, uh, oh, what was it called? A three-minute warning. They were they were pretty good times, I think. I, I maybe feel that they were better than than him as a performer. Um, I do know he teamed with John Cena, which was pretty cool. Um, and I think he was very flamboyant then as well. But yeah, I think I preferred I think I preferred him as manager. Um, so how did this go? Oh, here we go. So, God, so I've got my notes here. Losing my place. Um, Billy and uh, Hardcore arguing about which one starts the match at the beginning, which I thought was pretty funny, because Rico comes up and slaps them both on the ass, which, meh, I guess that was kind of funny, actually. They both, like, proper freaked out about it, which is really weird, considering Billy, like, what, not 24 months prior is doing the, uh, the Billy and Chuck gimmick. Which oh, so him being like weirded out by a guy grab by a, a chap grabbing his ass is pretty funny. Um, and again, considering this is face versus face, I'll give credit to Hardcore and Billy. They do they do try and play to the bad guy side of things. Um, essentially, the match goes the way it goes, pretty much as you'd expect for a tag team title match. Hardcore looks like he's going to get the win, gets a super kick from Rico. A sunset flip esque kind of pin from Haas gets them the win. Um, was okay, as I said. Never really a fan of Rico outside of the manager role. Haas was cool, but I, I felt kind of very much like um, Lance Storm was good technically, but never really had a um, a personality. Not the one that ever really um, shone through. Anyway, uh, backstage again, we get the Undertaker. Classic Undertaker, where he doesn't say a damn thing other than rest in peace at the end. Um, Bearer speaks, basically saying Booker T's going to get his butt kicked. Pretty much it. Um, I kind of enjoyed the old school Taker bit. Like, after Mania 20 and he had Bearer with him and he, he was just stood in the back saying rest in peace again. But I'm glad they didn't stick with it for long. Because I think, if I remember correctly, it's the next Smackdown pay-per-view, which was uh, Great American Bash. That's when we get rid of Bearer. So um, it didn't last too much longer, but I think I, I, we got like a nice little nostalgia feel from it, and then we got rid of it, and that that made things better. Um, going to one more match just before we go for a break, and it's Chavo versus Jacqueline. I thought this was a very hard match. Chavo's got like one arm tied behind his back. Um, I mean, the build-up kind of made sense. She'd beat him for the belt. Um, he didn't like it. She kept like, you know, making fools out of Chavo and Chavo Senior, and I, I got the build. I, I just don't necessarily know why this this match was happening. Um, I mean, it's pretty cool. She was the champ. I don't know if they just made her the champ though for the sakes of making her the champion. 
because I don't think she ever really did anything other than just lose it back to Chavo, and then that was kind of it. I don't recall him ever wrestling again for the belt. Um, quick note on Jacqueline, though. Like, for ages, it felt like her and Ivory, Ivory were the only real women wrestlers in the business, in the company at the time. So it's quite nice to to see that they gave her a, a, a singles title that wasn't just the women's belt. That felt pretty good. Um, but on the flip side of that, I don't think she was around much longer after this match. I don't recall it, if she was. Um, Chavo Sr., of course, uh, helps and do a bit of uh, shenanigans, unties Chavo Jr., allowing him to sort of get a bit of an advantage. Uh, and the fact that the ref can't tell his hand isn't tied behind his back is ludicrous. Um, <laughs> a Chavo does hit a gory bomb um, behind the ref's back, Pretends to retie his hand. It's it's it, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, he gets the pin and gets his title back. Talks a little bit of smack after the match, pretty much as you'd expect from Chavo. Um, anyone remember Kerwin White? Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> and then just before he leaves, uh, Chavo Senior kicks Jackie for a bit of good measure. Again, kind of felt a bit meh about that. I, I didn't really see a point. She'd already lost the belt. Um, I mean, so that's pretty much the undercard of the show. I don't think there was much really um, else to it. I mean, it's pretty pretty standard. I think at the time, WWE had a lot more focus on the, the back end of the pay-per-view. And I think that definitely shows in this show. Um, so we'll go for a quick break. We'll come back and we'll jump into uh, match six, which is a John Cena and Ernie Bree for the US title. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Match six on the card is John Cena versus Rene Dupree for the US title. So this again felt like another um, pretty fresh face to the roster. Rene Dupree had not long been drafted from Raw because they split up. I th I'm pretty certain they, they had La Resistance on Raw because it was Rob Conway and Rene Dupree at the time. So I'm pretty certain they just split up La Resistance and had Rene Dupree move to um, SmackDown. Clearly had uh, big things in line for him. He'd clearly gone on the WrestleMania diet because he was looking a little bit puffy. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, I I think this match was a bit of a lose-lose. So I think Rene Dupree really needed to win this match because this was like his first pay-per-view, solo pay-per-view outing. And he was like, clearly they they had big things in mind for him. But on the flip side, Cena was fresh off the US title win and he was clearly, they'd clearly got ideas of him being the man in like the next 12 months. So this was really a lose-lose situation because um, I said, yeah, they, they clearly wanted to push both guys, but only one guy was coming out of this looking good. It, let's face it, it was never going to be Rene Dupree. <laughs> um, we get a rap at the beginning. I'd completely forgotten that at this time, at this point, Cena was still rapping. Uh, it was actually after he won the the world title that he stopped. For some reason, in my mind, I thought it was the US title. But no, he comes out, cuts a rap. Uh, Renee comes out at the end. Bit of heat for cutting the rap off. Um, match was pretty solid. I mean, very much back and forth. A lot more back and forth than I was actually expecting. I was kind of expecting this to be a. 
I suppose at this point Cena was still doing stuff. <laughs> he hadn't become the the five the five moves of Doom Cena yet, so he was still doing stuff in the ring more more so than than not. So yeah, it was a lot more back and forth than I I thought it would be. A bit of a glitch in the middle with a bit of a botched clothesline over the top rope. Um, Renee ended up just rolling underneath instead. Um, but as you'd expect, Cena gets the win after the FU. Um, course would later become the attitude adjustment as i said i think this was pretty much a lose-lose here they they kind of needed cena to win because they were pushing him to the moon but they also clearly wanted to try and push renee dupree and yeah i don't know if maybe things like booker t coming over and turning heel or, or jbl turning heel had, had maybe not necessarily squash the plans for Renee Dupree, but maybe put them on a bit of a, a back burner. But still kind of felt that, again, if you were going to have Renee Dupree in a match on this card, it, it probably should have been maybe against another person, no title on the line, um, or they should have had this match with no title and Renee Dupree gone over, because then Cena's still the champ and Renee would have got the win. I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of that on this pay-per-view matches where it feels like no one was going to come out of this as the winner <laughs> um not a bad match though as i said they both got their stuff in uh, we've got our uh got a five uh, well semi five moves of doom i guess um the fu at the end we get the french tickler which is always hilarious and that's all that matters the french tickler he's a french man who does a french dance he is the french phenom and again that never that never went anywhere the french phenom never faced the undertaker i don't think and if it did, it wasn't a very long match. Um, but yeah, and also this was before the damn spinner belts took over. Good times. <laughs> uh, we got a promo for Kenzo Suzuki. Again, I have absolutely no recollection of him ever arriving. Um, I don't have a recollection of him ever leaving either. Um, did he ever actually arrive? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> it was. I saw the promo, I was like, who? <laughs> um, match number seven... It's a pretty pretty good one here. Undertaker versus Booker T. The build to this was pretty good. Um, essentially, Booker T got drafted from Raw with RVD, who was tag teamed with, to SmackDown. They got to SmackDown, and Booker T was like, "Man, I don't want to be here. I want to be on Raw." And then turned on RVD because RVD was just like, "Hey, man, it's all cool." You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, turned on everyone, started basically saying he was the biggest star on SmackDown. Of course, I, I like Booker T. I think Booker T's good whatever he's doing. I think that's kind of like his, his superpower as a wrestler. He's just good. I I loved him in WCW. I thought he was great in WCW. Um, Harlem Heat and then as a solo act, I thought he was great. Um, of course, him talking smack about everyone, pardon the pun, uh, gets the attention of The Undertaker. Of course... Um, and then the build here of him turning to like a voodoo priestess to try and fight the Undertaker is really funny. <laughs> like I didn't realize just how, how quite funny that would be. In fact, I'd completely forgotten all about it until I watched the show again. And I was like, "Wow, he is a nut!" Like, does he think this bag of sand is going to going to stop the Undertaker? Um, I mean, I don't know who was writing SmackDown at this point. Because I'm pretty certain it wasn't Heyman by 2004. Um, and if it was, what the hell was Heyman doing? Because um, 
because this type of stuff's a bit rubbish. Um, and the fact that Booker T came out carrying this bag of like sand, dirt or whatever, and then actually threw it at Undertaker during the match, and he just completely no-sold it. He like turned away and then just turned basically straight back and he was fine, and it's like... Oh, Booker, you nearly you nearly had it there. You nearly had it. You had the scissors kick, got taken down, it looked good. Yeah, no. Um, chokeslam and a tombstone. A really bad chokeslam as well. I Undertaker just doesn't have a good history of doing chokeslams at the Judgment Day pay-per-view. Uh, as me and Martin were talking about in the uh, Judgment Day 2002 episode, which if you haven't listened to, please go and listen to it. We had such a great time talking about it. Um, it. The Undertaker's choke slams on that show. We don't know if it was Hogan just not selling them, or if it was just Taker just having a bad day. But they were horrible, and this choke slam was on par. Like he did, like he doesn't. It's almost like Booker T doesn't know where to go. Like he kind of jumps, but then doesn't go on his back. So Taker pretty much ends up putting him back down on his feet and then throwing him on his back. It's really weird. Um, Tombstone Power Driver, though, after pretty much as you'd expect, picture perfect. Um, and obviously, he gets the pin as you kind of expect it to. Um, as I said, a couple of good points in there, really. The, Taker was never going to lose this match, and Booker T didn't really need to win it because um, he wasn't this fresh faced youngster. He wasn't. Um, you know, on the rise or trying to make a name for himself, he he was just basically a guy who was too big for his britches, but was already an established talent. So he doesn't lose anything taking the loss here. I think Taker probably would have because Taker had been off for so long and had come back with the the original Dead Man kind of gimmick. Um, so I think him losing might have been a bit worse, but Booker T taking the loss here is definitely the right move. I think. Now, that brings us into our main event, which we'll go into. Um, I have quite a lot of notes on this in compared to the others. So, <laughs> it was a hell of a hell of a build. I mean, um, if you look back at that year, the APA were kind of not really doing much. Ron Simmons was obviously finishing up. Bradshaw wasn't. So, they did the, they did the gimmick where Heyman fires Farouk and... Bradshaw decides he needs to stay and they split up and then basically we see JBL change his character like completely like just a complete different um, he looked different he sounded different the way he spoke was different wrestling wise nothing really changed threw in a couple of uh, technical technical moves not quite like Benoit or Angle level of technical but but you know Looked good. Um, this match was a prime example of that. The the fact that they he sold it as well as he did, like turning into the jackass Wall Street guy, um, and then later on they gave him like the cabinet because they turned him into a more of like a politician. Um, they put the belt on him. I mean, Jesus, this is like his first break, and by God, he knocked it out of the park. Really, when you think about it. They threw in here the storyline of Eddie's mum having a heart attack, which um, in a really sad way is kind of foreboding because 
I think it's maybe just over a year later, Eddie dies of a heart attack. So, you know, I obviously know it's complete coincidence, got nothing to do with anything, but yeah, a bit, bit weird watching it now and going, oof, wow, bit, bit close that. Um, I think I've mentioned it before, I was never really into Eddie Guerrero until the uh, Los Guerreros tag team came about, because I just thought they were really funny. Um, that may be a little markish of me, I don't know. I was never really an Eddie fan till then. But but I thought he, he did really well as champion. I, th- I thought his run was pretty good. My understanding of it, I don't know how much of it's true, but my understanding was that he was struggling a little bit with the with the schedule, being the champion, and that's why he dropped it as early as he did. He wasn't due to, to drop it that soon. How true that is, I don't know. And I think there's maybe only about... In fact, I think it's only about a month between him dropping it and Benoit dropping it. So I think I think maybe the situation was the same for both of them. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if it was before this match or not. I think it might have been after. JBL did a skit where he was like patrolling the border of Texas and attacking Mexicans trying to sneak across, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. And it just just showed him to be like a complete like goofball, which you know is funny. Um, he never did anything different, like I said, in terms of the ring, um, compared to Bradshaw. I think JBL added a couple more technical bits in, but that was it. Um, match itself is pretty, pretty hard hitting. They don't, it's pretty much a brawl. There's some, like, technical stuff in there. Bradshaw does this weird-ass headlock takeover, which is what I said about, like, him adding some, some technical stuff into his arsenal. I don't recall ever seeing Bradshaw doing that. Um, we see all the sort of the classics, Three Amigos, that type of stuff. Um, the end of the match is probably where it gets a lot more exciting. So you get the massive Brian Hebner ref bump where Eddie literally runs at him and just cleans his clock. <laughs> um, but then the sort of fight goes outside. JBL gets thrown over the announcer's table. But he grabs a chair while he's there, comes back and levels Eddie with it. Like, full contact. No hand block. Just this loud impact. And for a good bit after it happens, if you go and watch the show, the crowd is just silent. I mean, the commentary is silent because they've got the headsets on. But it just feels very quiet all of a sudden. And then... Slowly but surely, we get the the, the holy shit chance. Um, Eddie at this point is bleeding profusely out of his head. It's it's not it, it's a good image, like it's a powerful image, but yeah, like it's it's um yeah it it it, it wouldn't be allowed now. That type of stuff wouldn't happen now. It's too too much. I think. Um, Clothesline from hell gets hit. Probably should have finished the match there, really. But, of course, Hebner's still out of it. Uh, Charles Robinson comes running out to the ring. Um, but, of course, too long, Eddie kicks out at two. Um, and then poor Charles Robinson. He also gets levelled, but this time from Bradshaw. Um, we get a powerbomb to Eddie, which I thought was really good because they tried making that his finish, I think, for five minutes. Because he used to do the thing where he would like pretend smoking a cigar and putting it out on the back before he powerbombed them. Um, but yeah, I think people just never really got over the clothesline as, a, as probably the best finish. Also, you can't powerbomb everyone. 
so you can't always get the finish against everyone. Kicks out at two, though, obviously. Um, and we get this scene with the, where Eddie is hulking up, essentially, and he's just covered in blood. I mean, he's not just covered in blood. The ring is more red than white by this stage. Like, Eddie is pouring. Like, his face is just unrecognisable. Um, I mean, JBL sneaks back in with the belt, tries to hit Eddie with it. Uh, Eddie hits him with a low blow and then grabs the belt and then levels JBL with it. Of course, the ref by this point is no longer distracted, catches Eddie and gets the disqualification. Um, gives JBL the win, of course, doesn't give him the title belt. Um, I seem to recall, and I think the commentary mentioned it as well, JBL had like promised and like guaranteed he'd win the match. So it, it kind of fit that he won but didn't get the belt. Um, the fight continues after the match, though. Eddie just absolutely, like... <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, he brings a chair in and gives a massive crack. Again, unprotected headshot to JBL's face. Um, which, again, it wouldn't happen now. They they wouldn't they wouldn't let that happen. Um, Eddie finishes it all up with a, a nice frog splash at the end, which probably wasn't needed. That felt very wrestling. I think if he just kind of dropped the chair and walked off, that probably would have been fine. Uh, we didn't need the, we didn't need the um, the, the the frog splash. Um, Eddie follows and then tackles him on the rope way as well when the refs are trying to get him out. <laughs> Poor JBL being dragged off and just yeah, Eddie chases and follows. Uh, it takes like, you know, all the people in the back, the usual suspects um, coming out from the back, to to split them up. It's. Yeah, like Fit Finley there, trying to pull them off. All the refs trying to put them off. Yeah, it's, it, it, as you kind of expect. It, it was a powerful ending because the story had built up quite, and I guess it fit in. It was you know the man's mother had had a heart attack while in the ring with JBL. It was never going to be a five star technical wrestling match. It was always going to be a bit of a brawl, um, and the ending it did kind of fit. I felt, I do think this is probably the last pay-per-view where you'll ever see an ending like that. I don't think, because I think Chris Nowinski at this point was done, and I think he was doing all the work on the concussions and stuff. Um, there was a lot of talk about injuries, so I, I don't think there was ever an ending like this, probably ever again. I think it's very, very unique, very similar to the, the Rock Mankind I Quit match. It was a match we've seen. We don't need to ever see it again. <laughs> and it, it it worked out well. I mean, next month Bradshaw gets the belt. Eddie goes back sort of down to the down the card. Unfortunately, never gets the chance to um, never gets the chance to get it. Sadly, um, which I believe was the plan when he he died. I believe that was actually on the cards. I believe he was supposed to um, rewin. Well, not re-win, but um, win the belt again. Um, yeah, shame really. Um, so that's really it. I mean, for the show, I, I this show is a very random pick, and it's it's definitely builds into it. It probably did for both of them what they kind of needed. Eddie had never had that. 
to my knowledge or memory that vicious like he'd been sneaky and he and he'd attacked people but never in the way that this match went and JBL being fresh on the scene as a heel and even though having a bit of a, a reputation as a brawler to him to bring it the way he did at the end like like the the, the chair shot and just, just absolutely leveling Guerrero um it definitely gave Bradshaw a vicious element that you'd not really seen and I think overall it probably did more for both men than than it probably deserved to with how violent it was and how bloody it was but yeah you'll never see anything like that ever again the ring will never be that bloody in WWE ever again if you if you haven't watched this show I would massively recommend going and watching it it even flags at the beginning like this this is mature this has scenes that may disturb people like it i i don't think i've even um i don't think i've even seen that on any of the pay-per-views actually prior to this one i may just be watching the wrong ones but yeah like it flags like beware this stuff gets real <laughs> and it does so you know what uh fair play um again whoever was booking the show in terms of like the writing probably needed to have a good shake it felt like this pay-per-view was very much flung together um you probably could have caught like the first five matches and maybe the show would have just been fine <laughs> a shorter show with just the last four matches um it probably would have been better i mean what do we have? six was j uh, six was yeah so six seven and eight you could have had the last three matches only on this show and it would have been a lot better i think it would have stayed the same sort of level um so that's really it. Again, very random episode, but I saw this show and I really wanted to talk about it because I thought it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening. Welcome back to Season 5 as well. I really appreciate you uh, listening. Again, if you do want to support uh, Big Boss Book Club on Instagram, uh, Big Boss 010 on Twitter, you can get the link tree there for pretty much everything, including the Kofi page if you do want to support directly. Um, thank you so much for listening. I'm Big Boss, and I'm out. Peace.